This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's July 1962. A congressional subcommittee is holding a hearing to investigate the future role of women in space. At the time, the whole notion of a woman astronaut was ludicrous to most of the country. And Jerry Cobb, the kind of leader of this group, testifies on behalf of women being more than capable of flying in space. First, let us all among ourselves recognize that we women pilots who want to be a part of the research and participation in space exploration are not trying to join a battle of the sexes. As pilots, we fly and share mutual respect with male pilots in the primarily man's world of aviation. We seek only a place in our nation's space future without discrimination. And then this other pilot, Jackie Cochran, comes in out of nowhere and says that women shouldn't fly in space. And I was like, that doesn't seem, that doesn't line up to me. Like, who is this woman who is basically Maleficent, like swooping down from her Disney castle to thwart her should-be sisters and then like flying home to hang out with her pet raven? As one who has had much experience in high-speed precision flying and over the years has passed many of the tests given to select the first seven astronauts, and also one who would exceedingly like to go to space, I do not feel that I have been the subject of any discrimination. The manned space flights are extremely expensive and also urgent on the national interests and therefore, in selecting astronauts, it was natural and proper to sift them from the group of male pilots who have already proven by aircraft testing and high-speed precision flying. Jackie Cochran turns out to be the most fascinating woman you've never heard of. She led the Women's Air Force Service Pilots in the Second World War, was the first woman to fly through the sound barrier, saved LPJ's life one day, was friends with multiple presidents, was just a huge force in aviation, and held more records than any pilot, male or female, the world over when she died in 1980. Today on Space Curious, we're going to talk about the supposed clash between two female pilots who ultimately wanted the same thing, and Jackie Cochran's legacy as the first woman to break the sound barrier. Though Jackie never made it to space, her story is one of entrepreneurship and determination that led her to try and reach for the stars. This is an interview with Miss Jacqueline Cochran at her residence outside Indio, California on April 7, 1974. I'm Amy Shearer I am a space flight historian and author and YouTuber and public speaker and occasional TV interviewee, talking head, um, so a lot of things. Uh, and I'm based in Pasadena, California. Jackie's a very interesting story. She kind of burst onto the scene a little bit in the 30s. She learned to fly uh, in 1932 when she was 26 years old. I tried to always fly a minimum of 40 hours a month. See, I logged over 15,000 hours. I was only happy when I was in an airplane, completely. Jackie Cochran was an entrepreneur who launched her own cosmetic line. 
In order to move the product more efficiently, she became a pilot and ultimately marketed her makeup to the traveling woman. So she never forgot that her goal with flying was to fly around the country selling cosmetics. Jackie's makeup line was called Wings of Beauty, and Amy says it was on par with luxury lines such as Estee Lauder. She, it was all about like women on the go. A lot of her marketing was, I have this kit actually, the perk up kit and the perk up stick. It's like, you know, those stackable makeup things that you can mm -hmm. get. It was those, but like really good quality 1940s plastic. <laughs> um, they feel better somehow. So she developed this and the idea was, and the marketing was, you can put it in your purse or your flight bag. So it was, you know, the woman on the go and she made it, you know, as part of her personal brand, but also her business brand to always be presentable and always kind of put forth that image. So she talks a lot about, you know, how beauty routines in flight. Use a really good moisturizer because at altitude, it sucks the moisturizer your skin, which is still a good thing. Always moisturize on a plane. She earned her pilot's license in just three weeks with a goal to deliver her cosmetics all over the country by air. And, you know, planes were different, obviously, in the 30s than they are now. It's, you know, far fewer avionics, if any. Um, but, you know, women, it was it was kind of the idea at the time was like women got excited taking a ride. They take a lesson, realize that it was hard and scary and they'd never come back. But Jackie not only went for it, she got her license in 17 days, which is kind of unheard of. And three days after getting her license, she flew to Montreal from New York didn't know how to read a compass at the time and got there and was like, people were so astounded she survived her trip that she made it into the newspaper. Amy's new book, Fighting for Space, is about the true story of the Mercury 13. You've no doubt heard of the Mercury 7, the first American astronauts, but the Mercury 13 were all women and never achieved spaceflight. She has been the woman aviator of the year. She's probably the singly most important lady aviator in the United States of America and the Western world and is probably going to be the first Western woman into space. Is that a safe prediction looking into the stars, Jerry Cobb? We hope so. I just wish that it wasn't necessary for you to add that Western woman into space now, but of course it is. You, uh, I take it we're and the story, as it's usually told, is that there's this group uh, of 13 women led by important. Jerry Cobb who did the same astronaut qualification tests as all of the men did in the early 60s, and they were denied their chance to fly in space because they're women, and it's just evidence of systemic sexism in NASA and all this stuff. Jerry Cobb was known as America's first female astronaut candidate, but in truth, it's much more complicated than that. And it, you know, it, it sounds great, like this great rah-rah feminist story, except that that's not what happened at all. <laughs> and um, the, the real story, I think, is a lot more interesting and a lot more important to know. Which brings um, us back so to I the Congressional Subcommittee in 1962. What follows is more testimony from Jerry Cobb during that hearing. Now, you may ask, who are these 12 women? Always referred to, but never identified. Why don't they get together and let themselves be heard? The answer is easy. They don't even know each other. They have never met as a group, and no one of the 12 women knows who all of the other 11 are. Because scientists involved, and I, have spent years awaiting word from governmental circles that the women would be included in the official astronaut training program. We asked the girls for more than a year to keep their identities under wraps. Ultimately, NASA was never involved in the quote-unquote Women in Space program, and it was canceled. According to Cobb's testimony in July 1962, 
the 12 other women were supposed to be headed to a Navy facility in Pensacola for more testing. Their lodging was even paid for by Jackie Cochran. But then the Pentagon pulled the plug the on the whole thing. The Navy tests were canceled for a lack of a piece of paper from NASA. It was not for funds. The Navy wanted to do the testing. While Jerry Cobb was among the 13, Jackie Cochran didn't pass due to a heart condition. It's not that Jackie didn't want women to become astronauts. She just wanted to be the first. Because Jackie's the one who's been breaking damn barriers for women since she started flying in the 30s. And real, like she knew how to play the system and play the game. And she knew that going up and just forcing your way into a program doesn't get things done. You have to play the system. Jerry and Jackie were fighting to control the narrative, and in the process, they were getting more people involved in the conversation about whether women should be included in the space program. Amy says these two women crossed paths over the years well before the showdown at the congressional hearing. It's just nuts to see how much they're both like talking and not hearing each other. And it's just like, what is going on? Um, but they also, you know, Jerry flew a record in a 1959 event that Jackie put on. So they, they definitely crossed paths. They had friends in common. They, they, had, they, they were kind of like tangential to each other until they just smashed headlong into each other. And so, that was that congressional hearing. And when that was kind that, of- yeah, that was, um, you know, that was when they, they like were, you know, in the room facing off, but they, they kept having to like, crossing, you know, crossing paths in the, in the press. Like people would interview Jerry and then interview Jackie about it. And Jackie's like, this isn't a real thing. There is no program for women. I don't know what she's talking about, but there, there was never a program for women. And Jerry's running around saying there was, and it was just this, it's a really interesting, she said, she said. During her testimony to Congress, Jackie said there simply were not enough findings to compare how a woman would fare in the space environment. But she said she believed they would prove to be as fit as men for spaceflight. Here's another line from her testimony. The determination whether women should be included at this time in the program of training and use of astronauts should not depend on the question of sex, but whether such inclusion will speed up, slow down, make more expensive, or complicate the scheduled of exploratory spaceflights our country has undertaken. When it came down to it, NASA was so focused on getting people into space that they couldn't bother thinking about including women. It wasn't worth wasting any time because of the space race with Russia. When she was asked at that 1962 congressional hearing if NASA should train women for the space program purely because Russia was also planning to send a woman, here's how Jackie responded. I think it would be sad if we had difficulty rushing forward trying to beat some other country in something. I would rather see us program intelligently and with assurance and with surety than to rush into something because we want to get there first. Jackie wanted women in space. There just wasn't enough evidence they were fit enough to handle it, yet. She even recommended NASA start by selecting a large group of women from all age groups. I think these girls should be put through every possible test on the ground that we can, so long as it does not slow up, interfere in any way with the present program that is being carried forward with our astronaut program, because I think that that is of the prime importance to this country. After the break, we'll learn how Jackie Cochran became the first woman to break the sound barrier.
Florida. Am I right? We have quirky people, politics, and don't forget about the gators and pythons. If you eat up all this weirdness like I do, you should check out another podcast from WKMG called Florida's Fourth Estate. It's hosted by WKMG anchors Ginger Gadsden and Matt Austin. Each week, they have a guest host who helps look at the issues impacting the Sunshine State. Look for new episodes every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This is this is my thing with Jackie is like, no one knows her. I mean, some pilots do, some aviation historians do, but she's not very well known, but she knew everybody that everybody knows. Jackie was good friends with President Johnson. So much so, he insisted she not call him Mr. President. I said, well, I'll tell you what, Mr. President. And he said, will you please, please stop calling me Mr. President? Mm-hmm. He says, I'm lending to you. I will always be lending to you. Mm-hmm. I said, but you are the president and I'll call you it. Mm-hmm. It was a funny little mm-hmm. argument we had. Yeah. I said, you're, the, you're our president and I have to call you Mr. President. Mm-hmm. Another famous friend of Jackie's was Chuck Yeager. He was an American war hero and fighter pilot who died in December 2020. His passing made headlines all over the world because his bravery for becoming the first to break the sound barrier and having the right stuff is legendary. We look at these like record-breaking flights and forget that all these guys are just like doing it for military pay. That was just their day job, was driving onto the Edwards Air Force Base and getting in a plane and doing some runs and just going for it and seeing what happens. And, and he got it on October what, 14th, 1947. The first human to crack the sound barrier. There, there aren't a lot of aviation firsts that the general population kind of knows about as being significant, but sound barrier is the, is the one. And it might just be that there's like so much fame around Chuck Yeager for it, but it really was the thing that kind of proved that, yep, supersonic flight is possible. Which in turn meant humans could survive re-entry from space traveling faster than the speed of sound. Here is Jackie describing the role test pilots like Chuck Yeager played in eventually sending humans to space. That these men actually had made space possible for these mm-hmm. people. I uh, thought, my God, this man is a superman. This is just wonderful. Now they should have some special honor. They should have a astronaut wings. And I didn't see any reason why they shouldn't have them. There shouldn't be a, a, a established a criteria for giving it to them. After his passing, you know, I heard a lot of people refer to Chuck and say he had the right stuff. What exactly yeah. are they referring to there? Yeah, the the right stuff, that idea is just kind of the, uh, I've, I've read some people talking about Chuck Yeager that he, he wasn't super educated. He didn't go to test, you know, crazy test flight schools because they didn't exist in the 40s. But he had this innate ability to feel what was wrong with the plane. And, you know, when he was flying, he'd have the engineers on the ground trying to, you know, parse the data that was coming back and figure out what's going on. And he's like, I don't know, just like feeling from the stick, it's this. And he was always right. Like he had this innate understanding of planes the way not a lot of people do. He was also fearless. Chuck Yeager is legendary for breaking the sound barrier with two broken ribs after falling off a horse prior to his flight. More than a decade after his historic flight, Jackie Cochran's husband, Floyd Odom, would ask Chuck to help Jackie train to do the same thing. What do you think he thought about this woman who said, I want to do what you, what you did and <laughs> help me do it? Like, how, how do you think that conversation went? Um, 
he kind of knew her by reputation because she'd won a bunch of awards. She was big in the war with the women's air force service pilots. So they, you know, it was inevitable that they would meet probably, but they met and he was kind of astounded that when they went out to this, to lunch, that the restaurant owner kind of bowed to her, that every, every course of the meal that came in, she was like this, I want this better go. And she finally went to the kitchen herself to give the chef hell. And she's talking and she's doing this whole thing. Like, peppering him with questions about the flight, like wants to know, but also managing to drop into the conversation how many awards she's won and all the aviation boards she sits on. And he's just like, who, what is, what is this a woman? And at one point he recalls that in the conversation, she says, you know, if I was a guy, I'd be, be a war race like you. And I would, I wouldn't have to be banging on doors to get what I need done. And he, he writes that he just thought like, I can't even imagine that that's a problem for you because she was, she was brash and she was, she knew what she wanted and she wasn't afraid to go for it. And that at, after that meeting, he just felt like she was just any other pilot. She was any other guy. Jackie became the first woman to break the sound barrier on May 18, 1953, flying an F-86 Sabre past Mach 1. So she, she and Chuck Yeager, who's kind of on her wing again, trailing her, um, they fly up to about 45,000 feet, and this is where she has this kind of like... She'd flown at altitude before, but she, I don't think she'd ever gotten that high, and it was... She, she recalls looking out the window, and at that height, you know blueness of the sky starts to fade to a deep blue and you can almost see looking up you can see the blackness of space and it's she recalls that it's it's noon but she can see the stars and she's kind of momentarily just drawn by this this is almost what pilots call the breakaway effect this idea that as you're flying up you see space astronauts like recount having this too where you look out and you just you just want to go forever so she kind of had that moment but then snapped back into it and was like nope i'm here for a job so she and Chuck, they're both at 45,000 feet and they both start a dive at the same time. And Chuck's in the radio talking to her, you know, calling, tell me what you feel, tell me how you're doing. And she's calling out her mock meter speeds and mock 0.96, 0.97, getting, getting right up into the transonic zone where things are like, you know, the air over the wing is supersonic, the air under the wing is not. So you're being buffeted around all over the place. And she's trying to explain how it feels so that he can understand because he's done it so many times at this point that he can advise her. And there's at one point too, he, he calls, you know, what do you see? And she describes seeing seeing air almost looking like a film of water on the canopy because the air molecules are struggling to get out of the way fast enough. And, um, she keeps pushing it and he's, he's right alongside her. And, and then it, all of a sudden she says it just stops. And that it's just this unearthly silence and that it, she didn't have any moment of fear. And she didn't have any feeling of being delicate or fragile. She's felt this like incredible connection with the plane, but also almost a connection with something higher than herself all of a sudden it, it disappears and it comes back and she's through the, she's back through the sand barrier and the rattling comes back because now the sound can catch up with her again. And it's just this, this very quick moment. After landing, Jackie asked the people at Edwards Air Force Base if they heard the sonic boom. And they said, no, you didn't do it in a place where we actually record it. And she's like, all right, again, because you're hearing that boom today. <laughs> she gets right back up and does it a second time. If you haven't downloaded or picked up a copy of Amy Shira Title's book, Fighting for Space, our conversation is just a drop in the ocean of the stories about Jackie she has in her book. 
This season on Space Curious, I'm looking for more untold stories of spaceflight and science that are just itching to be told. If you've got a question or a story idea, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at EMSpec or contact me on our new website at spacecurious.show. This episode was produced and edited by Zach Rosen and myself. A special thank you to WKMG anchor Ginger Gadsden for voicing Jerry Cobb's testimony in today's episode. And also, thank you to the archivists at the LBJ Presidential Library in Austin, Texas, for helping me find recorded interviews with Jackie Cochran. Until next time, stay curious.